Alright, we have been we continue with the mystery of faith. It's something that the Lord laid upon my heart and I want us to finish what we were sharing last, last time when I shared we were talking on Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger and he, or he who believes in me will never thirst. Those are, those are the words of the words of, you, of, of the master. And as we continue with that particular scripture, as he, he shares, he shares in, that, in, that, in that scripture that is in, in John chapter 6 and verse 35. I just want to remind ourselves of the cross of the matter. You remember we've been looking at the aspect of the faith that has been given unto us. And we've been encouraged to contend for this particular faith. After these sections, we are going to enter into contending for our faith. And I would like us to dig into scripture and get to understand what, how do we contend for this particular faith that has been given unto us. But for now, we are basically some of the things that we are learning, there are nuggets here and there of contending for our faith. But mainly they are for the purposes of being able to build our faith and to bring it up, to give it muscle and strength. To be able to face the situations and circumstances that we face in life every other time, every now and then. And I just read once again the main cross of the scripture that we've been reading all along. Remember Hebrews chapter 12. Let us read verse 1 and verse 2 as we move on. Just It's a reminder once again that therefore we also since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And as we've been looking at that aspect of looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, Last time we shared was we started uh, unpacking that scripture of I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger and he who believes in me will never thirst. One of the aspects we touched on we said is he says I am. And seven times the son of God repeats that same word I am in, 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 in identifying who he is. And we know what I am is when it comes to the word of God. It is the all-sufficient one. And so he declares it over again, and I'll repeat it again. I am the sufficient one for you. I am the total sum of all the divine blessings and the divine favor you will ever desire and long for in life. He's saying, I, Jesus, I am. And he wants us to focus on him and him alone because he is the door. Remember what he says, I am the door for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. He says, anyone who enters by me will be saved and you come in and go out and find pasture. Meaning, there is no other door that we can go through to find restoration, to find the pasture, to find the completeness and the wholeness that God has designed for us as men and women in this life and in the life that is to come. For you realize, he says, he has been given a name that is above all names. Both in this age and in the age to come. There is no other name that will make a change or a difference in you and in me and in the whole of mankind. 
or in the whole of the life of mankind as long as we shall ever be if we neglect this one, Jesus. Because he is the I am, as the word of God puts it across unto us. So we, declare, we share that briefly on that, on that aspect as we are looking on that. He's the bread of life. He says he is the drink, or, you know, he is the water of life. He has the water of life in himself. And we shall touch it briefly as we move on. But one of the things we said is that no man will be able to satisfy or quench your thirst. No woman will be able to satisfy or quench your thirst. There is no association that will be able to satisfy or quench your thirst. And realize we said there is no achievement that will be able to satisfy and quench your hunger and your thirst as a human being. Only one thing, as he said, he, as when the devil tried to trick him, as we said last time, the devil tried to trick him and asked him, you know, turn these stones into bread. If you, know, if you are hungry, you know, just turn them into bread and eat. And it was a trick. It was not just a matter of the issue of the stones being turning into bread, no. It was with a plan that he denies who he was. Because he says, he answered him, man shall live by every word. He, he will not live by bread alone. He will live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And what did we say? He was telling the devil, I am the every word. As we have read later on in, 1, 1, in John 1, 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he declares, I am that every Word. That's why he says, I am the bread of life. I am the every Word by which men and women must live. If they don't get me, they are lost. They are going to die. Or they are in fact dead because they don't have the, the thing that will be able to give them life. And the one thing now that I want us to look at as we finalize that, that is the thing that I just want us to share for today. That is to finalize that scripture of, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger and will not thirst. John 6, 35. Realize something. As much as, you know, he says he satisfies our hunger. He quenches our thirst. We touch the thirst of the cravings. And the, the things we covet for, the, the strong desires and the wishes and the lusts that we tend to have in our lives as, as human beings. This third thing that I touch on is a sensitive, sensitive thing, especially now in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what I'm saying is that Jesus quenches the thirst for, or the thirst of avarice and greed. In us human beings. So that is one of the diseases that human beings we tend to have. If you sit down clearly, one of the things that every man and every woman deserves, which is alright. It is part and parcel of, of, being, of being on earth. It is that desire, to, of desire for wealth, desire for riches, and desire to advance and to be big and to be a, a big magnet, you know, to be recognized. That is one thing that happens in every single one of us human beings. That it, there is a tendency in men and women always to want more and more. Now I want us to, I'm not condemning wealth. Please don't misunderstand me. I, there is a particular perspective and aspect that we approach wealth which is healthy in the eyes of God. 
But there is also another way that we approach wealth and prosperity which you know, negates our faith and it kills our faith or it dishonors God. Now listen to this. In the book of Job, read these scriptures maybe yourself later on. Job chapter 31 and verse 24 to 28. This is what the word of God says. Job is the one who is saying this. If I have made gold my hope, or say to find gold, you are my confidence. If I have rejoiced because my wealth was great, and because my hand had gained much, if I have observed the sun when it shines, or the moon moving in brightness, so that my heart has been secretly enticed, and my, hand has my mouth has kissed my hand, he says, this also will be an iniquity, deserving of judgment, for I would have denied God who is above. Realize something about the essence of we love gold and we love great achievement. But, and I've seen, you know, even saints, I've seen men and women, humankind. The moment when we are advanced in our, in our wealth, we can be very happy. And people can really flout. You can see the people of the world. They will flout their wealth big time to show, to show off. But hear what the word of God says. If I have rejoiced because my wealth was great. And because my hand has gained much, he says, this will also be iniquity, deserving of judgment, for I would have denied God who is above. He says in Psalms chapter 62, verse 10 to 11, Do not trust in oppression, nor vainly hope in robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. God has spoken once, twice have I heard this. That power belongs to God. It is said that money is power. But the Bible there says, power belongs to who? Power belongs to God. And therefore, in all our advancements, I will encourage us, my beloved ones, let us be very temperate in the way we handle the things of the world. It will allow us to be able to grow in our faith. But this is only realized as we look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Why do I say that? There are two examples I would like you to look at. Looking and thinking about Jesus changed the disposition of two specific men that I would like you to look at briefly, just briefly. They were two prominent tax collectors. They occupied a privileged office, and money and wealth were flowing. They didn't have any need of that because it was there in plenty. Yet, one day there came a person by their road, by, their, by the, where they were. This guy or this person had no money. He had no horse or carriage. He was not even in a carriage that he was being carried about. He says in Luke chapter 9 verse 58 when he speaks of this man. And Jesus said to him, that is Jesus is the man we are talking about. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. But these particular two tax collectors 
who are prominent and rich in the in the in, in their terms. You know, there's something that they looked uh, they looked at this particular man as he walked by, and their lives were influenced by this particular individual. When you read that scripture that Jesus says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That is in Luke 59, 58. Then in verse 62, he says, Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom. Basically, you realize something. That this man, he had no, no home to call his own. Aspect number one, he didn't have any home to call his own, that is the Lord Jesus. He had nothing materially or financially for anyone to desire him. That is something interesting about this son of God. In fact, all his ministry, the word of God says, he was supported by some women. There are a few women who, who joined his ministry. They are the ones who are providing for his clothing, providing for his food, providing for anything. And wherever he was going, he was using, using Route 11. You know, I call this one Route 11. He was always walking around the son of God. The mighty one, the eternal one. He was always Route 11 with dust all over his feet. Uh, until you know, it would even take a woman to come towards those particular feet with, his, with her hair. That is how lowly the Son of God, the Son of God had to go through. The experiences he went through just for you and for me. Now, but I want you to notice something about this, this particular this man. One day in Ch Matthew chapter 9 verse 9 to 10, the word of God says, And as Jesus passed from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. What does that say? Matthew saw something better than the lucrative tax office that he had been all along all these years. Matthew was rich. If you look, he had all the tax collectors and all the other sinners in the community. They came for a banquet in his house and the guy was able to host that particular banquet from his pocket. He didn't go for an offering. He was able to feed every single one of them. But he abandons that particular office because he looked at Jesus. He saw something in this man that was better than the lucrative tax office. Better than all the wealth. He abandoned it all and he left it for somebody else to take that office to follow Jesus. The word of God is telling us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. As we look unto him, something will happen in us that delivers us from that, that particular hold of our eyes being focused on the things of this world. If the Lord blesses us with them well and good, but we hold them lightly because we are fixed on the eternal things that the Lord God is availing for us in the name of Jesus Christ. I hope you understand me, what it is that I'm trying to, to, to explain unto us. Secondly, go to the same Luke chapter 19 from verse 1 to 10. Remember Matthew, yet once again, I say he, you know, he found Jesus, you know, Jesus was better than the lucrative office that Matthew had. Let us look at another one, Luke chapter 19, verse 1 to 10, quickly I read, he says, Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. 
Now, behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. Now listen, who was a chief? Leave alone Matthew. This one was even greater. He says he was a chief tax collector. And he was rich. Even the Bible itself says that. And he sought to see Jesus, who Jesus was. But he could not because of the crowd. For he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree to see him. For he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I have... I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, or I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is the son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Praise God. Now, what I want you to take note of the fact is, Zacchaeus, can you imagine a rich man of town running, running ahead of everybody and climbing, climbing a tree? Where is the owner? Oh, you know, as men, you want, he wouldn't do that. He would want to appear, you know, so that Jesus can see him and, you know, try to stand in front so that Jesus can be able to see him. That's the way we would tend to behave as human, as human beings. But I want you to realize something about Zacchaeus. He found that this Jesus was more satisfying than all the wealth that Zacchaeus had. That's the strange thing. Why? Because when Jesus was seated in the house, as Zacchaeus looked at him, he just got the satisfaction in his heart. And what happened? He told him, Lord, you know what? I, I, I no longer have an attachment to this particular region. I'm giving half to the poor. Suddenly, out of nowhere, he says, I'm giving all my gold half of my wealth I'm giving to the poor. And no, that is not enough, Lord. Something else I'm going to do. I'm going to give, to pay four times. Imagine, four times, if I've gotten anything wrongfully from anybody, I will give him back four times and bless him four times. And he basically say, and I'm going to follow you. I can assure you, Zacchaeus was a poor man. After Jesus left that particular house. You think about it. Because I'm sure there are hundreds that he had wrongly accused being a chief collector. But he was paying back four times, four times. The guy was left poor, properly poor. But he didn't care. He was satisfied. It was settled in his heart. I have enough. Looking unto Jesus, the bread of life, he satisfies. He quenches our thirst. There is something good about Jesus. And I encourage you young and old alike. Lift up your eyes and look unto this Jesus. I've known him from when I was young and now I'm old. He's so good. He's so sweet. He satisfies in the name of Jesus Christ. Praise God. Remember one thing. Consider this particular example. Consider the young ruler. The rich young ruler. As the word of God, you know, puts it in Luke chapter 18. Same Luke chapter 18, verse 18 to 23. Read it later. The word of God says, and, uh, Now a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, 
What shall I do to inherit the eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And he said, All these things I have kept from my youth. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. And when he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. Now, this may not be very popular, but essentially it is, it is what the word of God is telling us there. And that's what I want us to consider, that because of wealth, he turned away from Jesus. And the word of God says he became very sorrowful. Praise God. Take time and look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 3 and 10. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words, from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such, withdraw yourself. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these shall we be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men and women in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now those words are being written to believers. They are not being written to unbelievers. I want you to take note of that. Those words are not being written to the people who don't believe in Jesus because that is their, their portion. It is good for them to have their portion. They have their portion in this world. These words are being written to believers, to you and me, that we may be temperate in how we handle the things of the world. Wealth has a way to change our hearts from God. Strange enough, wealth is good in one way or another, but it has a way of changing our hearts subtly away from God. You've got to be very wise and very alert to make sure you are not taken for a ride by these particular desires of this life. So essentially, wealth will not satisfy you, but Jesus will satisfy you. Only Jesus satisfies. Your faith finds its anchor, its home, and its strength, its power in the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep your eyes on Jesus, my brother and my sister. Remember later on you can read John chapter 6 verse 47 and up to 59. I don't have time to read those words. But there was where Jesus says, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Your fathers ate manna in, in the wilderness and they are dead. But he says, I, this is the bread which every, any man eats of it. He or she, that he, man or woman, they will live. They will not die. That is the, the joy of knowing Jesus. That is, believing in Jesus releases the life-giving streams 
of, of, the, of the rivers of life within you. That is in John chapter 7, verse 38 through to 39. That is, as you believe in him, as you look on the Lord Jesus, he immerses you into his spirit. And as he immerses you into his spirit, you will find that every facet of your life it starts to vibrate with the life. He says, my flesh is bread indeed. His flesh is his word because he is the word of God. So when you eat, read the word of God, you are eating the flesh of the Lord Jesus Christ. And says, my blood is drink in me indeed. What is the, the, where is the, blood, the life of the animal? The life of the animal is said to be in the blood, meaning the spirit of the animal abides and moves in the blood. The spirit of Jesus is the blood of Jesus Christ. And he says, he who drinks of my blood, he has got life in him. So his word and his spirit, they are the life that gives us life as human beings for the glory of God. And that's why he says in Romans 8 verse, verse 2, that you know, he says in the Bible scripture, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. He masses you into his spirit. As you focus on him and as you look at him, that spirit starts to vibrate within you, bringing life in the name of Jesus. Same Romans chapter 8, verse 11. He says, he will give life to your mortal body. The spirit who raised Christ from the dead quickens our mortal body. That is, he masses you into his spirit. As you focus on him, as you look on him, he, he, masses, he gets hold of you dips you into his spirit and that spirit starts to kick in even your very mortal body if you go to verse 7, 14 to 17 he speaks of some very interesting aspects in, from verse 14 to 17 where he says for as many as are led by the spirit of God this is the thirst quencher he is removing all the thirst from our systems. These are the sons and our daughters of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption of all by whom we will cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears with our spirits that we are the children of God. And if children then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may be glorified together with him. I repeat again, the spirit as he amasses you, he affirms, you know, he affirms in you the assurance that you are the child of the life giver. Amen. Praise God. And that is the beauty of focusing on him. He quenches our thoughts as I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never fast. Why? Because my word is the, the, the life-giving bread. I am the word. He was a mystery. He was flesh-walking, but he was not flesh per se. He was, and he remains the word of God. And he says, you know, he says that word became flesh. Then again, it was re-glorified once again and became again the life-giving spirit, all for the glory of God in Jesus' name. When we take him and focus on him, our lives will never be the same again. Jesus is the living bread which came down from heaven. And I finish with these words in John 1.1 1, 1, where he says, I am the word. I am the word. The, the word that he says, where he says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Remember one thing as he says in Psalms 107 verse 20. He sent his word. His word healed them and delivered them from all their destruction. As you eat Jesus, 
as you devour consider him think about him meditate on him sing about him mention his name as many times as you want as you want to mention because you are spirit every time you say jesus that is life being pumped into the air. You may not understand it, but that is essentially what is actually happening. The more you declare Jesus, the more you are declaring life into the atmosphere and life into yourself for the glory of God. He's what? He's the word of God. He heals and he delivers. Listen to this. Every other bread, you know the bread we love, it is dead. Do you know that? Because we've taken the wheat, we've processed, we've processed it, we've killed it. Then that's the one we go and we really enjoy, apply butter, apply whatever, and we enjoy it, it's lovely, we love it. Everybody loves it. Even the vegetables we eat, you know what? We've cut them off from their life source. So although we may say they are life, they are actually not life. Why? Because we have disconnected them from their life source and we swallow. So almost virtually everything we eat and we take is what? It has been disconnected from its life source. But the word of God never gets disconnected from its source. You eat it as it is. It is the whole, the whole, I, I, it blesses my heart when I think of it. That's why he says in Proverbs, that is the last scripture we are reading, my son or my daughter, give attention to my word. Incline your ear to my saying. Do not let this word depart from before your eyes. Keep it in the midst of your heart. For these words are life to those who find them and they are help to all their flesh. That word is Jesus. Look unto him. He's the bread. He's the bread. Praise the Lord. You take in this living word, and as you know, you take in this living word as it is, and the word starts to grow in you. It's just like the seed that you plant in the ground. Because it has life in it, even if at be it dies, it now starts to grow in you. As you eat Jesus, as you take him more and more, I assure you one thing. He starts to grow in you. And as he grows in you, he starts to be realized. Oh, the fruit, Jesus, starts to be seen in you. The leaves, Jesus, start to be seen in you. And every aspect, Jesus, starts to be seen in your eyes, in your touch, in your conversation. Because you are looking onto him, focusing on him. And he's growing in you and making you to become the child that God has desired you to be. I am the bread of life, say Jesus. He who comes to me, he who believes in me, he who comes to me will not hunger. And he who believes in me will never thirst. Let it be unto us, Father, according to your word. We have come to you, the living bread, Jesus. Oh, Son of God, may we never hunger. And I pray that we shall never thirst because we believe in you. Let this word be a reality in each one of my brothers and my sisters and in myself. Because we ask and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you.